Greetings, Rother Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled USFP, Initials, A New Beginning. My author, M.I. Clark, joins me to talk about her publication and her novel. Welcome. And her first name also is Mira, so I will refer to you as Mira in the interview. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Pleasure visiting with you. Your book has a mm, provocative-looking photo on the cover. Share with my listeners the style of writing that you have uh, undertaken here in this novel. Well, it's sort of a cross between police stories and police-type story and science fiction. And it does uh, does does it take place? It does take place in the in the uh, current uh, time frame. Although it does deal with science fiction and uh, some of those some of those elements. Yes, the book begins in uh, March two thousand three. Two thousand three, and your main character is is uh, called Matrix. If I understand the the outline of your book, the main character is that male, female. How would you describe that to my listeners? And it talks about a sixty year uh, time frame or window before Matrix comes back on the scene. Share a little of that background story. Well, it, she was a. Uh, uh, Let's see, I'm looking at my board. She was uh, abducted from Exeter, England, April 25th, 1942, during the uh, certain battle that happened there from Germany. And uh, she was returned in September 2002. Uh, Was she shocked or alarmed by what she encountered with that absence? That is not in this book. There's more... To it, a lot more to it than that, and more, a great deal more than sixty years actually passed. But mm. since she's returned sixty years later, it only says sixty years. And who more you, of that will come out in other books. You are planning a, a sequel to this, and in fact, as I begin speaking with you this morning, you are actually undertaking that process as we speak. What is the the uh, uh, the attraction to this type of story? When did you decide you wanted to? put something into print. What's your creative background? Well, as a kid, I always wrote stories and poems and stuff. My dad always encouraged me. And then when I got married, my mother-in-law, she would proofread all my stories, but I never had any of them printed. And uh, she encouraged me to have something printed. Well, then I, in 2005, I started this series and over a six week period, I wrote eight or 10 stories some entirety, some just ideas. And six or seven of them deal with this particular series. You have you have mentioned that you have a board or, I guess, an outline um, s- sketch of some type that you have worked from. Was this one that was fleshed out before you began putting the, the, the details to your character, or was it one that just was created through inspiration? The board is what, as I go along, I add things to it or take things from it so I can keep things in order. For example, her eye, her, this particular character's eyes change color with her emotions. Hmm. That's revealed in her book. Interesting. 
and you've managed to pen uh, 275 pages. Describe for me the the individual that's going to pick this book up and really gravitate toward this style of writing. I think anyone who likes pretty shows, uh, CSI's, um, there's another series I watched, Lieutenant Hamlet, uh, Kenda Homicide Hunter, um, things along this line. Um, anyone that likes anything to do with the police. I like top shows. I'm the next cop. Ah, you have set this in Dallas-Fort Worth, a very high-profile city in the United States. Why did you choose DFW, as it's called in the in the, in the the region? I really don't know. It just sounded like a really neat area. I've been through the airport once, uh, changing flights, but that's as far as I've ever gotten. My brother lived down in Texas, um... My family did it one time, but I was too little to remember. <laughs> so. It just intrigued you. You you uh, have have described this as uh, kind of a cross between science fiction, a cop uh, uh, book, if you want to call it that. Is there an action element to this, or was it all mystery? There is a lot of action. In this chapter two, is a lot of action. Other chapters have, uh, chapter two starts off the story with, the uh, arriving at the airport, it, it gives a little background in Chapter 1 and 2. She meets the guy that has the head in the box. Turns out it's a child's head, and then there's clues that lead her to where the body is and other things and um, other children. Mm. And You do have a child on the front, and is, and is that your main character, or is that just a depiction of just, other people? That's just one of the children in the book. I described her, my artist drew her, and it just came out that way. I like the cover it, he did. And it is excellent. I, it, it looks like a photograph almost. I mean, it's wonderfully done, and, and very. Uh, it draws you in. You wonder what is happening to the characters in this book. You also have mentioned the term alien in the book. This is uh, having to do with ES, e, I was gonna say ESPN, with extraterrestrials, correct? Yes. I was just going to ask if that's the main thrust of your of your storyline, the the um, alien aspect of the of the book, or is it the murder side? The murder side in book one, as other books, it gives more more and more details of of the alien abduction, what they did to her, why they did what, possibly why they did what they did to her, and how long she was really taken from Earth and her true age with the mountain. Other books, the you- book with the. Plane Crash is the most exciting book of all, so far. Ah, and what do you hope to achieve? Most authors, of course, want to express themselves creatively, but is there something beyond that? Do you think that maybe there's enough storyline here that a, a, a movie company may pick it up and adapt it for the screen? Yes, I do, because I've never heard or seen of anything with this cross in it before. I mean, there's been series where there's police officers out in, this, in the future, and then you got the series where police officers are in the present, but you don't have one that covers both at the same time. Is there a, a an aspect of the story? I, I see the word pedophilia that is also dropped in reference to your book. Is that also part of the sub-theme of what you have, uh, have talked about? In book one, uh, the actual suspect is a pedophile and his son. Hmm. That's intriguing. There's more to it than that that will come out in the 
uh, future books. There's things in book one that point to future books. There's also red herrings. You've done a great job of making it a mystery, then. Uh, the title, USFP, what does that stand for? United States Federal Police. They can go anywhere in the world. This is a uh, an entity that really does not exist except in your imagination, though, correct? Correct. And this idea of uh, making an international or uh, non-confined police force, <laughs> is this uh, something that came out of your work as uh, a law enforcement officer? No. Just something you wanted to, to see created in the fictional sense? Fictional, I would not want it done in reality. Thank you. <laughs> it's too horrifying to think about. Thank you for saying that. I, I was a little bit nervous when you when you mentioned that. What do you think is the underlying uh, moral to the story? Is there one, or is it just a, a quick read and uh, a fast story for someone to enjoy? Well, I chose pedophiles as the first one because, first of all, people don't want to believe they exist or that their neighbor, their cousin, their brother, their son, or whatever could be one. But in 2005, I looked up the FBI uh, list on how many children are victims before they're caught, and that's 84. And a lot of those go on to victimize other children. I believe it. it. I felt it was a subject that had to be out there. Yeah, we personally, my, my family personally, uh, was acquainted with someone who was a neighbor that was actively molesting small children. We didn't realize it at the time, and it uh, came out later in life. So those things do happen. They don't get uh, reported many times. Right. A lot of time to pressure, the, the family pressures the children not to come forward because it is a relative. They don't want to have a stigma placed to their family. What is your what is your hope? You say you have a another book in the works. If I could describe your short term goals, what would those be? Would that be the completion of the second book, or is there other things also on the work uh, in the works? Well, I'm working on five or six books all at once. I get stuck in one, I'll jump to, back to one of the others, then I'll jump back when I when that way I'm never not writing. Excellent idea, having a board with the uh, definitions and the uh, different storylines. Uh, I would be very confused if I didn't have something like that. So you have obviously become very organized in in doing your writing. How long does it take to complete a book of 279 pages? Well, I started mine in 2005. I sent it for print the first time in 2012, but there was an error between me and the company I used, and um, I stopped it. And then I had to redo it, fix their errors, and then I changed the book a little bit. And then uh, I resubmitted it, and it's I saw on Amazon last night it was up for sale. Excellent. Now, your next book, how long do you think it'll be before that is released? Probably later this year. I'm thinking between September and November. Phenomenal. I'll be doing, I'll be doing book signings here in Michigan and then in uh, Florida at the end of the year. Excellent. Go down there for three months of the year. Congratulations on this, your first release, USFP. Those are initials, subtitled A New Beginning. My author, M. I. Clark. Mira, thank you for joining me today. And where can my listeners get a copy of your book? Uh, author House has them. Listeners, you can also do a search under the name of the author, M. I. 
Clark, C-L-A-R-K. And those first two parts, M and I, are initials. They will not only be able to locate this release, but also any books in the future. Correct. Mira, thank you for joining me today. Best of luck on this release and any project that you release in the future. And Mira, what is the age range or the age that you would say this book, this title is appropriate for? I'm thinking 16, just because of the pedophile aspect. Might, might be a little scary. 12, 13 may have to ask their parent, what does that word mean? Right. And because I don't go into the story, what's actually done to the children, because I didn't think that was appropriate. That's why I say 16. Thank you, Mira, for clearing that up. And thank you for joining me today. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker. title of the book, Vanquish of the Dragon Shroud, Murder, Intrigue, and the Hidden Wealth of the Red Nobility, and the author is Gregory E. Seller, and Greg joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Greg. Hello, Steve. How are you? Good to be with you. Well, great to have you with us. Fascinating book. It's right out of the headlines, modern headlines. Even though it is fiction, we could see this really happening because your mystery deals in a world of illicit assets and corrupt foreign politics. And in this case, they all collide. And you wonder, is anybody going to make it through this? That's right. It's uh, it's based on uh, current events, things that people have probably read about in the paper with uh, foreign governments and politicians hiding money in the United States because it's very lucrative to, to do so. And then it uh, centers around a fictional account of uh, what happens to a hedge fund manager and his associates and family when they find out that uh, their client is not who they thought it was. And it uh, it unfolds in a pretty interesting way. Well, first, before we start talking about the characters and this intriguing plot, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you wrote the book. Sure. Well, I spent about uh, 40 years in the pension investment administration business for a major pension record keeper. Always had an interest in uh, investments, of course, as part of my work and politics. And uh, I'd always wanted to write a novel. And when I was living in New York City, I uh, noticed uh, just right across the street from where we lived uh, was the Time Warner Center. 
And there was always uh, interesting write-ups about um, multi-million dollar sales in that building and in some others. Yet interestingly, at night, those buildings were mostly dark. You know, I'd look out from my balcony at Columbus Circle and see all the other buildings in New York lit up. And uh, however, this particular one and a couple of others that also were known for these sort of large purchases were largely dark. And I became to be curious about that, did a little bit of research on it and found out that a lot of these properties are owned by um, limited liability corporations, which uh, hides the identity of the owner. And many of them appeared to be uh, foreigners who were uh, pretty much using these uh, as a place to park money, which was a little more discreet and hidden rather than putting it into a bank account or a mutual fund. And so that kind of formed the basis of my research I did for uh, the, uh, the, the part of the story on the investment side. So in this case, you have a you have a match that most people would think would go together: capitalism and communism. That's right, and it's it's fascinating because uh, if you look at the uh, the Chinese Communist Party, of course it's it's communist, and of course everyone thinks back in our days of being raised in the Cold War and the Soviet Union and so forth that socialism means that people sort of live. Uh, all equally, supposedly, and you have this fascinating situation in uh, in China, and it's it's true in other countries where the what they call the red nobility, which is the leaders of the Chinese Communist Party, have in some situations accumulated massive wealth, billions of dollars. It's hidden offshore uh, that they've acquired through you know various activities, legal and illegal, back in China. So you've got this dichotomy where you've got all these uh, businesses in China the, from all around the world, American, British, so forth, that are uh, capitalist-driven, yet the beneficiaries of much of the uh, uh, wealth from the capitalist enterprises are going to uh, members of the Chinese Communist Party. And there's been several articles written on this recently in several papers, including the New York Times. So it's just something that's only come to light recently because it's been hidden for, for a long time. The book has a startling opening. It just draws you in. Here we have, it seems to be, the wealthy enjoying their yacht and having a, a get-together, an evening of uh, just a, a friends, somewhat of a party, and yet the world comes uh, crashing down on them. That's right, and I think uh, you know one of the favorite uh, toys of the uh, the rich, uh, and I see it where I live here in Fort Lauderdale, certainly in in California. Uh, one of the the most enjoyable parts of having a lot of money is you can buy yachts, and um, certainly going out for a celebratory evening on your company yacht, you're entertaining some of your clients, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, there's a horrible explosion. The yacht starts to sink, and there's an event that happens in the last 15 minutes on the boat, which is very key to the entire story. And only five people witnessed the, the events of the last 15 minutes, and uh, one is missing and one's in a coma, and the other three are not talking. So a big part of the book starts right at the beginning on what happened in these last 15 minutes, and that sort of unfolds the, the basis for the mystery that, uh, that comes out of it through the rest of the, of the, of the novel. So tell us about this successful hedge fund manager, Logan Ehrenhart. Yeah, Logan is a successful hedge fund manager. He runs a big business uh, with his partner, Ethan Chandler, uh, located in Beverly Hills. They were uh, schoolhood chums back in the University of Colorado. They've been running a very successful hedge fund business, managing billions of dollars. And uh, they come to find out that their client or clients, they're not who they thought they were. And uh, it's one of those situations where 
something you can't control changes your life. And I think if um, you've ever been in that situation or thought about it, something happens out of the blue, you can't control it, it's a major event, and your life changes overnight. And uh, the, the characters in the book have to make a decision, uh, all of whom are wealthy, successful people, that their life has changed. And what are they going to do to basically survive through this situation and, uh, and move forward, even though they can't control what's, what's occurred as a result of the, the sinking of the yacht? The cover looks pretty ominous. Uh, tell us about how you picked the title and why the ferocious dragon on the cover. Okay. Well, first of all, I want to give credit to Joshua Allen, who's the artist who did the the dragon. He's uh, in, employed by my publisher, and he did a great job, I think, on the front cover and the back cover. The uh, The title is taken the, from uh, the, the Dragon Shroud is uh, basically the kind of nickname for um, hiding assets from the Chinese uh, Communist Party members. The, a shroud is something that shrouds and you know, covers something, and the dragon is the shroud of the red dragon. You know, and the red dragon has been a symbol of China for a very long time, preceding the, the Communist Party, of course. So the dragon shroud is uh, the, the shroud that hides the hidden assets, and that's what um, the title is actually taken from. And, of course, the term the red nobility is, is what they refer to as the... Uh, the, the really elite of the Chinese Communist Party. That's the term, the Red Nobility is kind of a widely accepted term. So the, the Red Nobility is uh, who um, has the assets in the shroud is what tries to keep them secret until this event happens. And of course, the secrecy then comes out into the open. I've heard your book described as a mystery, uh, it's described as a murder novel, and also even a bit humorous. Uh, how would you describe it? Well, I think that's all accurate. I think if you are a mystery lover and you have a little bit of an interest in the investment world and a little bit of interest in politics, I think it's a perfect perfect novel for you to read because it is a mystery. It does involve, it does involve a murder. It does involve um, the investment world, but I think I've taken a lot of steps to make the uh, hedge fund business easy to understand. And if you're a little bit of a political junkie or read the headlines, you can see how these events are all actually happening today. And you don't have to... Uh, you can just go to the, the newspapers every few days and, and see these events uh, described. And, yes, I put a little humor in it because, uh, you know, life is not always just one dimension. I mean, even the most tragic circumstances um, sometimes have an element of humor, however ironic that might be, and I tried to include that in the book. Is there a political message here? Is it critical of China? It's not critical of China. I mean, I have a, a huge respect for the Chinese, especially for their civilization. goes back... Uh, you know, thousands of years, and is one of the great civilizations of the earth. So the the um, I have a lot of respect for the Chinese people, and they're an amazing, amazingly creative um, force on the planet. And I think that uh, it's not critical of the Chinese. It is somewhat critical of the Chinese Communist Party because of the uh, you know the way they suppress uh, free speech, the way they're you know taking in some situations, not all leaders, but many of the leaders are using these assets to enrich themselves, while there's still a huge swath of China that's in poverty. So it's probably a bit critical of the, uh, the, Chinese, uh, the Chinese Communist Party and maybe some excessive capitalists as well, but certainly not with respect to the Chinese people. And often when money is involved, uh, we sometimes don't want to ask the important questions because we really don't want to know the answer. Well, that's true. And, you know, in my uh, 40 years in the investment business, I found that most investment managers and clients, the vast majority, are extremely 
honest, but uh, you do come across these situations, and of course they've been in the headlines for forever, uh, where sometimes it's just too good to be true. Uh, you've got uh, a financial advantage that has come your way. You, you have sort of a gut feeling that this just doesn't seem right, but gee, I'm making so much money, I don't want to ask that question. And that's sort of the the beginning of the uh, the book is that uh, you know the fund managers are leading a fabulous life. Their families are very wealthy, successful, enjoying all the good things that life has to offer. And then this thing that's been in the background that they kind of knew was there, all of a sudden, you know, rears its head, and their lives are are thrown into a turmoil. Well, I love the characters. Are they going to live on? Well, I am working on a second book, and it is going to be uh, a sequel. And so, yes, the, some some of the characters will will live on. As you know, if you read the book, some don't. But uh, I'm hoping to, uh, based on this book, if it's as successful as I'm hoping it is, that I will uh, complete a sequel. Besides Logan, who would you say is another very important or a couple very important characters? A little bit about them. Sure. Well, I think uh, one of the most important characters is Maxine Ehrenhardt. That's the wife of Logan. Uh, she is a key person who is actually central figure to try to find out what is happening. Uh, her her best friend, it's really her business partner, Seth, business partner Seth. They work in the design business together. They're really very close. He ends up being a very key character as well. He has an interesting dimension. He sort of leads two lives, and I think that's part of the story. I, gotten a lot of comments from readers. They've enjoyed Seth's character very much. And then there's another character, uh, Alton Price, who is sort of a, a fixer, as you'd say in Hollywood. He fixes uh, tough situations uh, for business people and celebrities. And I think he's the other character I've received a lot of comments on. Uh, there's, there's others that are in there, but as far as the readers that have written to me and asked questions, those are the primary ones I get questions on. And another theme that you describe in your book of course when we face some life-threatening problems or what appears to be insurmountable we really don't know what our reaction will be until we're in the middle of it and we find out a lot about ourselves that's true and that's one of the things i wanted to bring out in the book and i've had a lot of feedback on that as well as i was mentioning before we all go about our lives we have uh things in certain order we wake up every day expecting something you know predictable to happen and when something really life-changing occurs that you can't control but you know that moment your life as you knew it is totally over you cannot change it it will not go back you've got to go forward in a different way then that you have to reach deep inside your soul and say what do i what do i do am i focused on survival am i focused on revenge Am I focused on redemption? You know, what is my motivation? And I think you'll see these characters who are all affected by the same event, the same, the last 15 minutes on the boat, then there's the sinking, and then each of the characters reacts in a very different way. I'm not saying anyone is better than the other, but you'll see the main characters all react to this tragedy in a very different way. For some, it leads to death, and to some, it leads to revenge, redemption, and just survival. So I think uh, it's, a, it's an interesting read if that sort of uh, topic is, inter- is of interest to you, which I think it would be to most people. We've been listening to Gregory E. Seller. He's the author of his book, Vanquish of the Dragon Shroud, Murder, Intrigue, and the Hidden Wealth of the Red Nobility. Greg, tell us, what's the best way to get your book? Uh, actually, it's available on uh, Amazon.com. It's also available in Barnes & Noble. 
and it's also available on iBooks. So if you want to uh, go online, uh, probably the quickest way is Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble or iBooks. You can get either a hard copy or you can get the ebook version for only four ninety nine. So I think it's an easy book to get, and I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much, Greg, for joining us on Author Talk. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate the opportunity. In the 1950s, kids were about baseball, the Lone Ranger, and apple pie. In the 60s, it was war, finding your freedom in the monkeys. The 1970s brought disco, the Brady Bunch, and self-empowerment. When the 80s arrived, the youth of the world celebrated individuality and a rocking beat. The 90s whizzed by with lots of grunge and many shades of gray. Now, the turn of the century has come and gone, and today's youth has something to say. Young Mind Society is the voice of a new generation. Tune in on AstronetRadio.com Fridays at 6 p.m. Central to hear DJ Y, Carl Papa, Queen Meek, and Princess Jazz lay down the humor, ideas, and thoughts of the now. Remember, Young Mind Society, Fridays at 6 p.m. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled The Doberman's Puppy Days, a granny glitter story by author Andre Siracusa, who is joining me today from Florida. Welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Your book and story are charming. Relatively small. How many pages? What? Perhaps 50 pages in total? No, not quite. They're not about quite. 40. 40. 40 of actually written material. I will also mention to my listeners, you have penned other books. This is not the first effort that you made. You've been a creative all of your life, and I will mention that you are a seasoned citizen and a seasoned writer. Share with my listeners where the inspiration was. Why did you decide to write children's stories? Well, I had a little granddaughter that I used to tell stories about my animals to. She was one of the March of Dimes children that survived. Thanks to the March of Dimes, they uh, made a little respirator that fit her. She weighed a pound and a quarter when she was born. Imagine that. So she's the reason that I, I really wrote the book. It's, it's because she wanted me to. It, it is uh, now this book, the Doberman's a Doberman's Puppy Days. This is a recent release. The other books that you've written are they uh, already in the marketplace, or have you just written them? What has been the creative process? Well, um, Arthur House has uh, two of them, and um, Amazon has three actually. But all of the books are actually stories about all, all true. I, I've taken uh, writer's liberty and put a few things in there that aren't exactly so, but 90% of everything is the truth. That's something that really happened to us, the, my animals and me. The Doberman, where does that fit into your life story? Well, I had a Doberman. The, the, the puppy days was how I got her and the raising of her. And uh, that's... That was mainly my first book, actually, was the Doberman's Puppy Days, because Venus was a very special dog. She was one of Warlock's famous puppies. Warlock was one of the best Dobermans that ever lived, according to the um, AKC, you know, the animal 
Uh, I, don't Re- know the re- I guess it's a registry, I guess. Yes, the registry. <laughs> it? uh, sort of a club? registry, I think. Yeah, a club. Yeah. You, do, you write, anyway. do you write every day, or is this uh, something that just, uh, when the inspiration hits, you, you sit down and pen your stories? Well, I, I think I write almost a little of something every day. Uh, I'm working on a regular book right now about a friend of mine who was an amazing man that lived. So, um, and then I also have another uh, uh, book for children that's coming out. It's called uh, An Egg with Legs. An Egg with Legs. Yes. Catchy, catchy (laughs) thing. It's actually about... uh, well, anyway, they have to read it and find out about it. That's the best way to tell it. And yes. tease them a little bit. And I will mention, and I, I don't usually share an author's age, but you are in your 87th year, is that correct? That's correct. I'm approaching 88, very close. <laughs> well, you have you have a creative background and have uh, have managed to uh, to keep that spark of life, obviously, in what you're doing. Is there a, an underlying theme or story to this one, a Doberman's Puppy Days? Why will parents and grandparents and children uh, in, not only enjoy the story, but also get something else out of it? Well, actually, it's teaching children unconditional love. We don't seem to have as much love. Parents say, oh, I love you. Go out and get some hamburgers or something because the mother works and she's tired. The father, he's tired, too. And, well, we're going to spend the weekend with you. And the weekend comes and they're still tired. So they do something, but they don't have time to really put their arms around them and sit and hold them and talk about the the beautiful weather or the beautiful birds flying by. It seems that love is kind of getting away from us. And that's what my books are all about, is love, I think. I noticed in your resume you also consider yourself an artist. Did you do the artwork in your book? Well, I did, <laughs> I did half of it, you could say. <laughs> I have a friend who I, uh, I, I don't like to draw the same thing over and over, so I'm not an illustrator, I'm an artist. Mm. She's uh, an artist. She's an artist also, but she's an illustrator. She doesn't mind drawing somebody standing, sitting, and looking out the window. I like to do it once and be done with it. So I correct her things, and as time has gone on, she can do it now herself, and I've sort of let go of it a little bit. But in the beginning, it was half mine and half hers. Doberman Puppy Days, are, the covers both were mine. I did the dog on the cover. And it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, the inside she did. So anyway, we gradually, uh, gradually, little by little, I've let go of the artwork of it and just write the story. Well, as one creative to another, I can understand and appreciate the uh, short attention span thing. I finally have gotten mine settled down a little bit, but uh, you know, I understand <laughs> you know one thing at a time just is about all I can handle. Yeah. Well, I also do commercial art and things like that for people. And that keeps me hopping around a little bit, too, in addition to the books. You you have uh, always been a creative. When did you begin writing your stories? I think when I uh, when my granddaughter said, My mom, please write it down so that someday when I'm a mommy, I can read it to my children. That was the beginning. I think maybe 30 years ago I started. Wonderful. Have you had a response from 
others, uh, people other than your family, what has been the reception to your book and to your story? Well, if I never make any money with it, that's all right. I've had such wonderful experience from the children. I have a little boy that I see every once in a while. We shop in the same food market, and he'll put his little arms out and run up to me. There's Granny Glitter. Oh, Granny Glitter, I love you. He says, wow. <laughs> and it's so cute. Uh, it was worth everything just to do it for that. <laughs> that that's a wonderful recommendation just on its own merit was there any book that maybe influenced you as a child well any book uh, lots of books i had books from i came from the time i was born i think i've had books so i've always been a book lover and then when i lived in france i lived in france since i was seven when i was seven until I was about 18. Hmm. And I had um, books of every, I guess, from every country around, and, and many languages, and half of them I couldn't speak, but people would give them to me as gifts. So I've always loved books. And, you know, they would see me in the restaurant, my uncle's restaurant, or around the hotel, sitting there reading. So our customers, so to speak, would come in and always bring me a gift or a hug and a kiss and that's how I got to be me. Your short-term goals or I guess um, more accurately long-term goals what are they as an author? As an author I would like to I guess I would like to be able to afford to do something nice back for the March of Dimes. They gave my granddaughter um the respirator she weighed only a pound and a quarter i think i told you that yes um uh only a pound and a quarter when she was born and but for that respirator she would not have lived there was a time when she was dying and she had turned blue and the march of dimes arrived with this little respirator that saved her life so i'd like to do something nice back for them something really you know um and something for her. She now has a farm, and she teaches uh, how to ride, and uh, she trains horses. And I'd like to, I guess, pay off her farm and make her comfortable. I, there's a lot of things I'd do with it. Well, the money if the book was profitable. But even if it's not, like I told you, I've had a lot of joy from this. This is beautiful. How long did it take you to complete this? Were there challenges along the way in getting this to where you were happy with it? Oh, you just don't know working with Gloria. She's 10 years younger than me, but honest to goodness, I think she she acts 10 years older. <laughs> I won't tell her. The job. Don't tell her. But anyway, I love her, and I working with her has been a challenge. It took It took a year almost a year and a half and to, to, it does take about a year and a half I should say uh, to do a book working with her sometimes takes two years where normally another person would take about five months <laughs> amazing well the, the the finished product is excellent the colors are bright and cheerful they, they certainly jump from the page and the animation which is the way I would describe the illustrations are, are beautiful the uh, printing in the book is something that a young child can read and also a, a, a grandparent or parent can read and uh, enjoy the ride in the story of a Doberman's puppy days and it's a granny glitter story 
by Andre Saracusa. 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 Yes. Hard to say. Well, I've got I've got small writing in front of me and no glasses, so uh, Saracusa. <laughs> thank you for joining me today. And they can uh, get this book on Amazon.com. Are there other ways that they can get a copy of this? Yes, if they want to contact me directly, they can. Um, um, my I have a website. They can go to GrannyGlitter.com, I believe. Or they can contact me at Andre with the at sign A dash J O R B E T, and I'll help them get a copy. Wonderful. Listeners, also let me give you a spelling of Andre's name so that you can do a search online and find her other books. Andre is spelled A N D R E E. Syracusa is spelled S I R A C U S A. Thank you for joining me today and sharing your story. You have a fascinating story, a fascinating life that you have uh, already been an accomplished creative and uh, not only as an author but in other areas won't divulge to our listening audience, but you have a wonderful story just by itself. Thank you, Andre, for joining me today. Thank you, Jay, for asking me. I've really enjoyed talking with you. My pleasure. My pleasure. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker.